Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents Book Burners, Season 3, Episode 8. The building lurched under Sal's and Liam's feet as, on all fours, they clambered up the steps. Did the whole place just sway? Liam said, or is it only the stairs that are moving? Not sure, Sal said. At the next landing, two servants were busying themselves pulling crowns of crystals out of the walls pushing them closer together, forcing the ceiling farther up. A crack appeared down the ceiling's center, and one of the servants scurried up to patch it with iridescent spikes. Sal stood up and walked beneath them. What are you doing? Liam asked, trying to understand what's going on, Sal said. She looked up at the servant. Excuse me, but I'm worried that the building will collapse on us. It might fall, the servant said, but we will rebuild it better if it does. But what about the people in the building? We will make them better, too. And how do you plan to do that? The servant nodded toward the apartment door in front of Sal. Have a look, it said. The door had been forced ajar by the changes in the frame. It swung inward as soon as Sal touched it. Liam followed her. Inside, the walls were covered with fresh paint, a multitude of figures careening through vibrant swirls of color. There were several easels with canvases on them, all with finished paintings of landscapes vertiginous in their perspective, as though the viewer were a bird testing the limits of its own flight. Hello, Sal said. Come in, called a cheery voice. Sal couldn't figure out where the voice had come from. Come in, it repeated, and Sal understood. It was coming from just above her. Crouched on the ceiling, painting a long swath of bright green against the white, was a man Sal assumed was the occupant of the apartment. But he had changed, even Sal could see it. He was bigger than a normal human, his limbs longer, and he was faceted as though made of minerals instead of flesh. His face seemed to be trying to look kind, but there was something hollow about it, uncanny. I'm sorry if my face is off-putting. I do want you to come in, the artist said. I'm Nazario. He planted his palms on the ceiling, extended his legs behind him, then dangled them down and dropped to the floor to shake her hand. 
Sal, she said. She understood in that moment that she'd finally seen enough weird shit not to be afraid of him. And if the servants weren't going to help her understand what was going on, maybe this man or what was left of him would. Are you an artist? She said. I am now, he said. For decades, I was just a hack. But I knew I had it in me. And now, look, it's all coming out. Nazario was right, Sal thought. There was something in the distortions of perspective he was working with. They made the paintings heady. She felt like she would fall into them if she looked long enough. I've never seen anything like this, Liam said. I have, Nazario said, all my life. I saw them in my mind as clear as they're on the canvas now. If I concentrated hard enough, I could almost make the street I was walking on look like that. In my mind, I could twist and smear all that color in front of me into shapes like this, but I could never quite get the paint to conform to the vision, until now. What changed? Sal asked. It was only half a rhetorical question. What didn't? Nazaria said, admiring his arms, his hands. It's not only the physical changes, the fine motor skills I now have, it's the mental clarity, the shutting down of noise, the ability to block out distractions and establish a direct line from my mind's eye to my hand. There is no interference. If I can see it, I can draw it, just like that. It is exhilarating. How long did it take you to make all these paintings, Sal said. An hour, Nazario said. And it's only my first series. I have so many ambitions, two decades worth of ideas that I can at last execute. I am finally working at the height of my powers, and it is beautiful. And the magic did this, Sal said. Magic did not do this, Nazario said. I did this. The servant only helped. It, it allowed me to bring out what was already in me. That's all. But your face... Sal said, your arms, there are consequences. The servants don't seem so bad once you accept their help, Nazario said. You just have to let them in. Sal thought of the hand, of the way he clawed at the inside of her skull, of how she would have thrown herself off her balcony before she let him stay in her. I'm not letting them in, she said in a soft voice. She looked at Liam and knew he felt the same. Suit yourself, Nazario said. It won't be easy for you to stay here. The, the building is unsafe for you. Are there others in the building who don't have servants yet? Of course. So they're in danger too. I suppose they are, Nazaria said. How many people are in this building, Sal said. I don't know, dozens. That's when they heard the screams from upstairs, calls for help. Someone was trapped. All right, Liam said, enough talk. He turned and bolted into the hallway. Liam, Sal said, running after him. Liam had already lunged and caught the leg of the servant on the ceiling. He pulled the surprised servant to the floor where he delivered three punches to its face before the servant raised an arm and caught Liam about the neck. I have to get back to work, the servant said. It grew its fingers longer and closed around Liam's throat. Liam kept punching, his face reddening. Liam, stop, Sal said. He threw one more punch. Stop, Sal said. Liam's arms fell to his sides. The servant released its chokehold, rose, and got back to work. Another voice from the floor above them wafted down the staircase, calling for aid. I can't move. You're endangering people in this building, Sal said to the servant. It shrugged. 
If they will let us help them, everything will be fine. You mean alter them? They should be allowed a better choice. The work doesn't allow that, the servant said. Sal thought back to what Liam had said earlier, typical work crews. I've got it, Sal said. What, Liam said. What do you do when you're not happy with the way people are doing their job, Sal said. You talk to their manager. How do we do that, Liam said. Let's go find out. The servant on the landing had heard everything. Four. Jaconda had the radio on loud in her apartment. She'd moved all the furniture to the walls and rolled up the rug to make a space for herself to dance. It had been even easier to do that than when she was in her 20s. She wasn't just restored to her youth, she was in better shape than she'd ever been in her life. She'd moved from past her prime to beyond it. It wasn't work to move the couch, the coffee table, to lift the rolled rug and lean it in the corner of the room. It was a pleasure. Her first few dance steps had been the ones she remembered from her youth, and she held her arms out in front of her as though she were being guided by an invisible partner. It was her way of walking back through her memories to recall how the steps went. Before long, though, she was improvising. Her steps changed, dug into the music more than she had been able to before. She held her arms out from her sides, then over her head, throwing her head back and reaching for the ceiling. She ran and slid across the floor in her socks. She ran again and dropped to her knees, leaned back and slid farther. There was no stopping her. Two floors above her, Simona's fingers were blurs on her keyboard, her eyes fixed to the screen. The economic mechanism was coming into focus. The models she would have to run were taking form. It would take some time to work out the math, even more time to troubleshoot it, but it was at last within reach. She was already imagining the look on her advisor's face when he saw the work she was doing. She was certain he would first smile, then laugh a little, delighted by what he saw. She wouldn't tell her undergraduate professor, the one who had seen her promise and encouraged her to become an economist, just yet. She would wait until the work was done, the revisions made, the dissertation defended, and then send him a bottle of his favorite wine. There was not a doubt in her mind that she could finish the work. It was just a question of time. Then the signal came through from one servant to the next, connecting Jaconda and Simona with everyone else who would let them in. Someone's here, a woman and two men. They're going to disrupt the work. What do we do? The servants were not good at initiating action. It wasn't in their nature. But it was in Jaconda's and Simona's and in Nazario's, and they spoke to each other through their helpers. I can't give up what I have. Jaconda said, not so soon. Me neither, said Simona. I need more time too, said Nazario. We meet on my floor, then, Simona said. The other two agreed. Along the filaments of the network connecting the servants' minds, the humans caught a sigh, a small moment of relaxation, of relief. No one was ready to stop working yet, not when there was so much left to be done. Nazario was the first into the stairwell, and he clapped when he saw what the servants had done. The walls, the floors, the ceilings had all become intricate loops and spirals spreading outward, and as he watched, they grew, flexed, stretched toward each other like the fronds of ferns reaching towards sunlight. He loved it. The door beside him opened inward, and Simona stepped out. 
We never really talked, have we? Nazario said. No, Simona said. I guess we've both been too busy working. They could hear Sal's and Liam's voices on the landing beneath them. There were three loud bangs from the bottom of the stairwell. Then the entire building wrenched downward into the ground, just the length of a finger, but it was falling into the basement. Simona and Nazario stayed where they had been. Now the soles of their shoes hovered off the floor. Their heads were a bit closer to the ceiling. It wavered above them, seemed to chime as it settled again, even as a long groan ran up through the staircase like a shockwave. Let's go, Simona said. They floated down the twisting stairwell. They could hear Jaconda coming up to meet them. She was singing the whole way, bringing a few other people with her. Maybe these newcomers weren't happy with the work that had been done, but Jaconda, Simona, and Nazario, who had only passed each other in the entrance of the apartment building and nodded, only vaguely recognized one another when they passed on nearby streets, were united in one idea. As far as they were concerned, their work had just begun. We can imagine many potential futures. Some serve as inspiration, others, warnings. Wondery offers one possibility of the future in their new show, The Last City. The year is 2072, and the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Five. Arturo, Sal called from the landing. We have an idea. Do you have any instructions for calling in their boss? We need to complain about the work. Inside, Menchu smiled to himself. I told you she would deliver, Hannah said, and she glared at her. Yeah, Liam called from behind her. He looked at his watch. 34 hours to spare, easy peasy. From Manchu's point of view, one second his compatriot stood in the doorway to the apartment, looking tired but confident. Two people he had grown to respect and love so much, people who understood him as no one else ever could. 
They had gotten better at the jobs, too, so good that sometimes they didn't even need Grace's superhuman strength to save them. Their wits, their knowledge, could sometimes be enough. He was proud of them, proud of the work they were all doing. Soon, it would all be made right. Then a sound grew from the stairs, human voices rising, overlaid with a high, glassy keening. The expressions on Sal's and Liam's faces changed. They turned their heads and looked up and down the stairs, and at once they were tumbling and fighting. Liam was lifted off the ground, his feet kicking in the air. He punched upward and dropped again, fell to the floor, got on his feet. Someone landed on Sal's back. She crouched and rolled, pinning her assailant beneath her, then flipped over and tried to hold the attacker down, but couldn't. Close the door, Liam said to Sal. But one of the tenants of the building made that impossible. He had jumped to his feet and made his way into the doorway. Sal threw herself on him, knocked him down, and they wrestled on the ground, half in, half out of the apartment. The tenant began to break free and turned his face toward Manchu. It was elongated, faceted, an abstract sculpture of itself. It made Manchu doubt how much human was left. Behind them, on the landing, Liam was facing two other attackers and losing, the glassy screams getting louder and louder. Sal is right, Hannah said. Call their boss. I don't know how, Manchu said. I think I do, Hannah said. What's the spell, Manchu said. Quick. There doesn't always have to be a spell. Grab the book and call. A long, wide crack appeared in the ceiling over their heads, dropping a flurry of dust in the air. The possessed man in the doorway was almost free. Manchu grabbed either side of the book and spoke into it. Whoever oversees these servants' work, he yelled, it is out of control, it is dangerous. The work must be stopped before someone is killed. The book felt warmer in his hands. The edges of the solidified pages pulsed beneath his palms. He could hear Liam shouting from the landing, Sal swearing at the man she was trying in vain to contain. The crack spread from the ceilings to the walls. Does anyone hear me? Menchu said. Is anyone there? A low moan escaped the book. Menchu looked down into it. He could see a tiny figure in the middle of it, first little more than a dot, then growing larger. It looked almost like a turtle. It got closer and then seemed more like a Christmas ornament, a scintillating globe with a tiny head, tiny limbs. It got closer and bigger, big enough that Manchu took a step back. Another step? A hand reached out of the book, thick, square, with stocky, stony fingers. It was too big for the book, impossible to say how it was fitting through, but it was emerging. An even wider shoulder followed, the curve of a sphere that Manchu realized would almost not fit into the room. Another arm on the other side, a thick leg, a second one. Its head began on the top of the sphere, but as the sphere grew to fill the space, the head slid down to the middle of what would be its chest. Eyes opened in the head where Manchu did not expect. The mouth appeared above them, spitting out a few shards of glass before it spoke. I am the foreman of this crew, it said. Cease working. All the noise stopped. In the doorway, Sal's attacker stopped moving and lay on the ground. The two servants on the landing stood up. Liam stood up with them, straightening his clothes. The building swayed beneath them. They could all feel it. You are dissatisfied with the work, the foreman said. You felt it for yourself, didn't you? Menchu said. The work has made the building unstable. 
They are rebuilding it. This edifice cannot be improved without first making it more fragile. Surely everyone knows this. Yes, but there are people living here, Menchu said. Structural work is always inconvenient, regrettable, but necessary, the foreman said. People like buildings can be fragile and must be made stronger. Some of the people don't want to be made stronger. They just want to be left alone, Menchu said. He looked toward Sal and Liam. They had both been through so much. That is their choice, the foreman said. We don't impose, we don't make them stronger unless they ask. Ah, Menchu said. It may be that so for them, but you've overlooked something. Your crew has decided to work on the entire building, and not everyone in the building has been improved to withstand it. The foreman cocked its head. I, Menchu said, have not been improved to withstand it. This little girl beside me, my friends, right here. If you continue to work on the building, you'll kill us in the process. We can help you to live through it, the foreman said. Don't you see? Menchu said. We don't want your help in that way. We're okay the way we are. He was surprised to find how much he meant that. I'm afraid that perhaps you don't see, the foreman said. This building is being improved in order to be brought up to code. I'm sorry, Menchu said. Circumstances are changing around you. Whoever summoned our crew in the beginning asked only that the walls be painted. I understand that. But in doing that work, so many violations were revealed that the entire crew was necessary. This building and half the people in it will not survive until the end of the day if you continue to do your work. This world and all the people in it may not survive if we do not do our work, the foreman said. Manchu's skin tingled. He had a sense of standing on the edge of a cliff that was crumbling beneath them, the ground far below, nowhere in sight. The building heaved again. The crack in the wall widened. They could all feel the structure beginning to pitch over. I can't worry about the world just yet, Manchu said. I'm worried about the people in this building making it to tonight. Can you understand that? Of course, the foreman said. Then can I ask you to call off your work? I'm afraid that's complicated. There are protocols to follow. Protocols, rules, regulations. Now, Manchu was back on solid ground. Sal's trick had worked once. Maybe it would work again. Let me speak to whoever oversees you, Manchu said. The foreman sighed, shifted its weight from foot to foot. In the slowness, the creakiness of it, Manchu had a sense that the foreman was very heavy, a sentient wrecking ball. He also had the sense that the foreman was very old and very tired and perhaps really wasn't being paid enough to deal with this problem, whatever that might mean in magical terms. It just wanted the whole thing to go away. Whoever summoned us has apparently left the building, correct? Yes, Manchu said. I think they were scared off by what you did. So, in truth, there is no real way of determining whether we have done our work to satisfaction, or even whether it's finished, the foreman said. That's right, Menchu said. 
He waited for the foreman to speak and then realized the foreman was waiting for him. You can stop working any time you want, Minshew said. The foreman's head sank a little. It took in a deep breath. All right, crew, it said. Put everything back the way it was and pack it up. Minshew stole a glance at the girl nearby, watched as her eyes darkened and she grew confused. She started to cry. Manchu felt almost nothing but relief. For Jaconda, Simona, and Nazario, it was as if a cold wind moved through the entire apartment building, beginning in the basement, swerving up the stairs, moving through every floor. The structure groaned back into alignment. The staircases unscrewed and straightened. The endless designs on the walls, the ceilings, sank back into their flat planes. Even the work that had started it all, the white coat of paint flecked away and the wall was dry and drab again. The old cracks in the stairs reappeared. The musty smell, which everyone who lived there had grown accustomed to, returned anew. Nazario, lying on the floor of the studio apartment, felt what had happened. He rolled onto his back and held his arms out in front of himself. They were the flesh and bone he had always known. He was stricken. He leapt to his feet and ran up the stairs. Simona, looking terrified, followed him from the landing. Jaconda lay on the ground in a fetal position, her hair mussed, her house dress twisted around her legs. Are you okay? Liam said. I'm fine, Jaconda said. But someone will have to help me up. Without warning, she started crying. Nazario would discover that the art he had made with the servant's help was still there. Simona's dissertation, almost complete, was saved on her laptop. It was work they had done themselves, after all. The servants had only helped them with it. But Simona despaired of the small amount of work left to be done. Her mind was flooded again with the stresses of her daily life, the fear of disappointing her advisors and herself. And Nazario knew he would have to treat his compositions with care. He needed a strategy for rolling them out, for selling them. He had to make sure to not take too many commissions at once. He would never be so productive again. Simona and Nazario in the next few weeks would take to having coffee with Jaconda in her apartment on the ground floor. Simona would bring the coffee from upstairs. Nazario would bring a few pastries from the bakery two blocks away. Jaconda would set out plates and cups before they arrived. If she insisted that being in a wheelchair didn't make her an invalid. They would talk about the most mundane things. There was gossip to relate about the other people in the building, behavior of local politicians to condemn. They actually talked about the weather. They didn't talk much about their careers or their health. They didn't have to. Even if they couldn't read one another's thoughts anymore, each of them knew what they had lost. Six. So, you did it without grace, Asante said. Yeah, we did, Sal said. Getting better at hitting, Asante said. Well, at least talking, Liam said. And done in three hours, Asante said. That's a short conversation for you, Liam. Manchu's eyebrows rose. What did I do to deserve that, Liam said. You know I mean it with love, Asante said. Team Three was back in the archives, discussing with Asante the final details of the book they'd brought back. 
As she talked and asked questions, she wrote quickly in a notepad. One more question, she said. Did you ever discover who had activated the book in the first place? No, Menchu said. Even the trail of figuring out who rented the apartment went cold. Something to do with the black market, Liam said. I still have a few people I can ask about it, but I'm not expecting anything. I can ask too, Asante said. I'm sure you can, Liam said with a laugh. Sal looked from Asante to Liam and back again. Had they always talked like this, about their connections to criminals, to illicit activities that undermine the society's mission? Had they kept it under wraps for the first few months she was there, or was she just noticing it more now? It was hard to remember. Well, Asante said, I have to get home to my family. To think, in the past year, we've almost seen a city or two destroyed. It's nice to know that sometimes it still comes down to someone misusing a book. Seems almost quaint now, doesn't it? Manchu, his arms folded, studying Asante, said nothing. And the building is back to the way it was, she said. Uh-huh, Sal said. And the people who live in the building? No risk to anybody or anything now, it seems, Manchu said. No need for any team but ours. I'm delighted this all wrapped up so fast, Asante said, and so clean. She got up and headed toward the stairs. Good night, all of you. Even in the chipper mood Asante was in, though, Sal caught her sparing a moment to shoot glances at the new cameras in the room. The archivist still hadn't gotten used to them. None of the other three moved. They waited for Asante to make her way up the spiral staircase and close the big wooden door at the top. Well, Liam said, Asante seemed pleased. Maybe a little too pleased. Meaning what, Minshew said. She has such good information right from the start, Liam said. And certainly a spring in her step when we close the case. There are always loose ends to these things. Maybe this time the loose end is her, Minshew said. I have my suspicions too, Liam said. But this mission isn't a reason to open an investigation, Manchu said. First, we have no real evidence that she was anything other than helpful. And if it was an experiment of hers, she did the right thing by helping us fix it. Even the magic seemed, I hate to say this, but more benign than usual. Give her enough rope, then, Sal said. I've never heard that expression before, Manchu said, but I think so, yes. So, it's all tied up? Manchu nodded. Good, Liam said, so now I can ask. Did anyone else hate this mission as much as I did? Why did they have to like being possessed, Sal said. Why did it have to seem like we were ruining their lives to set them free? No one spoke for a moment. It was a drug for me, pure and simple, Liam said, a bad one. I carved a path of destruction across this planet for myself and those around me. I did damage I can't undo. There's no doubt about that. But now that I remember what I did, I, I can't shake the feeling of those first few days, even those first few weeks. The madness we got up to. We were awake for five days straight. We partied in four different cities in three different countries. I was so young, so full of it. But I was so ready, too. I don't remember everything. How could I? But when I'm back there... It's a blur of music and lights and sweaty bodies and dashing for cabs. He let out a small chuckle. Oh, yeah, and running from cobs. 
We were in London by then at a party at a warehouse that was illegal from top to bottom. We shouldn't have been there in the first place, and the things that were going on in there, well, it must have been about five in the morning when the police raided the place. All of a sudden, there were flashing lights and bullhorns everywhere. We thought it was part of the party and cheered. Then, when it dawned on us that they were there to put us in jail, we ran. I remember diving out a window with a mate and hitting the ground outside, hard. We bounced off the pavement, were on our feet, and dashed away. He was silent for a moment. I know what I did during all that time. I know what I'm responsible for. But the thing that's hardest to face is that early on, I loved it. I really did. And even when I knew how bad it was getting, there was still that feeling, that rush. I couldn't let it go. I didn't want to. And if I'm honest with myself, I still don't. Even with what I know now. Liam's voice dropped. I'm not proud, he said. I'm ashamed. I hate it. Sal felt the rage in her uncoiling. Fought it first to tamp it down. Then realized there was no point. I'm sorry, she said. I wish I could be more sympathetic. Excuse me, Liam said. You can't be the martyr in your story, Sal said. You're the perpetrator. I'm sorry you feel bad about what you did, but you went looking for something and you got it. I didn't ask for what happened to me. I didn't ask for the hand to crawl into my head, crawl into the inside of my body. Possession was a drug for you? For me, it was nothing but violation. I was ready to die rather than face another minute of it. I tried to throw myself off my balcony. Did I ever tell you that? No, Liam said. The only reason I failed was because the hand stopped me. He froze every muscle in my body just as I was heading over the rail. I got a good look down into the alley below, the parked cars, the black pavement. There were lines in the street that some construction workers must have painted. Want to know what I remember feeling? Sadness. Sadness that I couldn't be down there, my skull broken into five pieces. I know what it looks like when people jump out of buildings. I know what happens. It's why I knew it would be so effective. And he took away even that. But you beat him, Sal, Menchu said. I wish it were that simple, Sal said. But I stopped believing in that particular line of thinking long ago. I don't think anyone beats anything. We never get over it. We never put it behind us. There's just learning to live with it. But you've learned to live with it so well, Menchu said. You too, Liam. You've both taken what's happened to you, what you've done, and used it to make you stronger. It doesn't feel that way, Liam said. Well, it looks that way from where I am, Menchu said. I see it in what you say. I see it in your actions. You're saying we're better for having suffered? I would never say that, Menchu said. I'm saying that I admire you both every day for the way that you continue to live your lives after what you've been through. And when I am feeling weak myself, I think sometimes about what you two might do. And it helps me to be better. Liam blinked. That's the nicest thing anyone has said to me in years, he said. Well, don't get used to it, Sal said. Believe me, I won't, Liam said. She could tell that meant she wanted to say more. It was something was on his mind, eating at him. She considered pushing him on it, but thought better of it. So, she said, what do you think opened that book? Who knows, Menchu said. My guess, Liam said, we'll never find out.
when she left the Vatican to clear his head. It was a habit he was beginning to fall into. After the mission, after the debriefing, after they'd sifted through the details for scraps of knowledge, tactical lessons, he found a little time away helped. The streets of Rome, the collisions of ancient and modern architecture, large and small, the tourists and harried businesses, even the street vendors selling cheap hats and selfie sticks, brought him a strange clarity. A reminder that there was life outside of what he was doing, life outside the church. You remember what the foreman said, right? A voice said behind him. Then she turned. There was another girl at his side, this one in a school uniform, a backpack slung over one shoulder. But there were the same pale, pale eyes. A pang of fright passed through him. He took a deep breath to calm himself. About what, he said. About the world, that it may not survive if they do not do their work. I remember, Manchu said. It's not an exaggeration. There is a great project that is in danger of failing. They were walking down a busy street, surrounded by people. No one around them was paying attention, and Manchu realized how normal they looked, how anonymous. Is that why you've killed so many people? Manchu said. We're on the same side, Hannah said. I don't believe you. It's not important to me whether you believe, Hannah said. What is important is that you continue to play your part. Do this, and all will be well. I'll even help you. I don't want your help, Manchu said. But father, the girl said, you need it. Manchu looked down on her, intent on giving Hana a piece of his mind, but the girl's eyes began to darken to a chocolate brown. Her expression changed, and she began to cry. And Manchu felt some of the old horror and rage all over again, even as he knelt down to help. You are listening to Book Burners, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. With all the billionaires flying into space these days, you'd think it was the most exclusive club in the galaxy. But the universe is vast and full of mysteries, secrets even that may make even the bravest of us rethink our haste in the space race. If you're fascinated by the lengths humanity will go to to colonize the outer reaches of the universe, I have a new fiction podcast for you. In The Vela, a refugee returns to her home planet in search of a missing ship. This is no ordinary rescue mission, though. The ship may be the last piece in a complex puzzle designed to bring salvation to the failing galaxies. And she isn't the only one trying to find it. The Vela is airing now, wherever you get your podcasts, so be sure to listen and subscribe, or visit realm.fm for more information. Book Burners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by Exe Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith, with additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring Jody Redditch Ferber and mixed by Justin Morrell. 
Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolihi. Find more shows like Book Burners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm. <laughs>